One day there will be the cry of repentance, calling the <laughs> heavenly daddy. Uh, I apologize for my voice. I just came back from the spring uh, college tour for my daughter, and uh, it started very well. But uh, we planned too much. I drove too much without much sleep, and the flu caught me. So my voice, I'm today, good news is that uh, hopefully sermon is short. We've been studying the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke for past five weeks. And today we'll start the second half of the series. And uh, let me begin with a pop quiz. Any, okay, people that I'm going to ask, they're not here. So I just uh, ask, anybody knows where is the most important parable of Jesus? called the parable of a prodigal son is written in the Bible. Okay, I'm avoiding all the, uh, the shepherds and co members. Where, youth, okay, youth, where is a famous parable of a prodigal son is in the Bible, according to Martin Luther, even if we lose the entire New Testament, if we keep that chapter, the gospel is intact. Where is that? Which gospel? Hello? None of you can answer that question? Fame of a parable of prodigal son is? Oh, I hear some old people's voice. Look. All right, shame on you, you guys. I know you say this course much better than that. Okay, Luke chapter 15. And the reason I ask this question is, do you wonder what follows after the great, you know, uh, parable? That's the today's parable. And the, as, you, as we will see, it's not a coincidence that Luke somehow, you know, it happened. There is a reason for that, and I hope we can understand that. Today's parable is called the parable of a shrewd steward. And the passage is Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 13. And uh, brothers, you read, brothers and sisters will read responsibly. So brothers, you read loudly for me, and sisters, you follow. So uh, let's go. Brothers, one, two, three. Jesus told his disciples that there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you 
untrustworthy and handling poorly well, who will trust you with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you look at the verse 1, the audience of today's parable is the disciples. Jesus told his disciples. That means this story is for committed Christians for reasons. So if you don't know Jesus Christ or you are not sure you haven't signed up for the discipleship, I warn you, actually, I, I, you know, don't feel bad if, it, I mean, if you feel this is overwhelming. Just uh, you know, give yourself a space. When time comes, you'll understand this. But if you are a followers of Jesus Christ, then you must know this is the core part of being disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, when he called the disciples, he, he said many times that we need to be uh, wise like a serpent and uh, innocent or pure like a dove, right? And I think Luke chapter 15, the uh, parable of a prodigal son is about the being innocent and pure. You know, when you come to God, you come very innocently and uh, purely and confidently, just like the prodigal son. Even, you know, even though he lost everything, he just count on Father's love and the will now, if you take a cornerstone Bible study, you will find out how, 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 how unlimited the Father's love is. And then Luke chapter 16, we come to this story of a shrewd steward. Here comes the topic of wisdom, how to be a wise as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So today's sermon title, I Made It Wise Guy. And uh, long before, there was a TV series called The Wise Guy. And uh, some of you recognize this. If you recognize this, that means you're very old. <laughs> this TV series came out in the late 1980, before the cable time, and I saw some episodes. The episode is this. The main character, Vinny Taranova, the, the, the good-looking Italian-American Italian guy in the center, his family think he's a mobster, and in New York, the mobsters, they call the wise guy. And everybody thought he was a wise guy, but in reality, he is an undercover agent, busting the real, the real wise guy. So it's sort of a wise guy above the wise guy, or true wise guy. So since I'm titling, I'm making all the titles of our parable series on movies and TVs, here he is, my consistency. So wise guy, the topic is wise guy. So question I have is, uh, who is a wise disciple of Jesus? What makes us wiser than anybody? You know, if you follow Jesus, you will be wiser. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is the truth and life, and the way, whoever follows Jesus, you will be wiser than any, anyone in this world. And today's parable is a very controversial parable. There's so many... Uh, Articles and books are written about it because they have a difficulty about this very questionable manager or steward. So if you look at the other translations, ESB called this 
manager, this parable of dishonest manager. New American Standard Bible said the parable of unrighteous steward. King James Bible said the unjust steward. Uh, messenger, uh, messen messenger Bible said the parable of a crooked manager. I like NIV's you know, title, which is parable of a shrewd manager. Because Jesus portrayed this guy positively. He is a business manner very positively. And here the word uh, shrewd is a very positive. And if you look at the verse 8, the owner or his master actually commanded him. So word shrewd is a positive word. Another word is a wise guy. Now, what makes him wiser? I want to share briefly with you the three things that we can learn from him. One, he recognized his crisis that he was broke and time was running out and he had to respond with a plan of action. He recognizes a promise, I mean his crisis. Look at the verse 1. There was a rich man who had a manager. The manager was reported to him as a squandering his possessions. By the way, the word squandering there in verse 2 is the same word that came out in the parables, parable of a prodigal son. The prodigal squandered. So once again, the connection is there. So Luke is here saying, in this story, he's saying, the guy who lost almost everything, how did he come back? And that's the, the, the gist of today's story. And so his master asked for this uh, dishonest, I mean, this bad employee for accounting uh, book. And then the, the servant realized the day of reckoning was upon him. And the interesting thing is that verse 2, we hear his own self-talk. What is this? I, uh, uh, verse 3, the manager said, what shall I do since my master is uh, taking the management away from me? He, it's a foregone conclusion. He's, he knew that he lost a man, uh, his uh, uh, master's money. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to bet. I know what shall I do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. Although he felt panic, he thoroughly calculated his situation and concluded that he will be fired very soon. And as soon as he realized the future is doomed, he had to face it as best as he could. So first thing I, I would say, that he recognized his crisis. What do you do when you have a bad news or crisis? You know, many people that I know, they don't face, they deny, they avoid. Back in college, my freshman roommate, he's a very active guy. I, you know, most of times, he comes home, on, he comes to our room until like, you know, midnight when gym is closed. I mean, he's one of the worst roommates I ever know. You know, he doesn't take even shower. He just sleep on his, you know. And our, our room, thanks to him, stunk horribly. And, he's, and then somehow in the morning, he goes out and all that. But 
after living with him a couple months, as soon as I, you know, I found out that any time he overslept, there's a reason. Is it because there's an exam day or paper due day? He just keeps sleeping. He wouldn't get out of the bed. You know, I know people like that. When they hit with a crisis, they just deny. They're just paralyzed. They're frozen. They don't know what to do. This servant, he, soon as he said the day of reckoning is coming, he started working, responding with his plan of action. So, what is the day of reckoning for us, for disciples of Jesus Christ? As this guy is a servant of his master, we are servant of Lord Jesus Christ. And our reckoning day is also comes. I'm talking about simply the death. Everyone will die someday. But problem is, while everybody knows that everybody dies someday, but not everybody prepares for it. You know, Bible said the wisdom, Bible said the connection between wisdom and death. So Ecclesiastes 7 4 said, Heart of the wise in the house of a mourning, the heart of the fools is in the house of a pleasure. In Psalm 90, that's a psalm of Moses. He has one prayer, verse 12. Teach us number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number of days. Do you know, have you counted the number of your days on earth? I have. 2014, I checked the data and the lifespan of an average Asian American male in the United States was 84. The highest state was in New Jersey, a uh, little over 88. Texas was not bad, a little below 88. So we are not that far. So Steve, you will live long. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, since then, I began counting, just, as, just as thinking average. I, I don't expect to live better or, you know, just average. You know, I have 31 years to go. That means 373 months. 373 months, and I'm done. You know, you guys are gonna put me in the wooden box and then done. You know, you're gonna say, "Oh, Pastor Paul," and then you know, you're gonna go out and eat the potato salad and then go home. <laughs> 373 months, man alive. That's all I have. If I live according to the uh, average lifespan. Have you counted your days? You know, when it comes to death, there is no order. There is a birth order. There is no death order. Anytime we hear the tragic story in New Zealand and anywhere, they never got up that morning thinking about, I'm going to die today. You know, when I was hospitalized with a heart failure, I didn't know death was that close. I didn't know I was dying. It's so close. You know, during this Lent, I was searching how we can uh, do a Lent, you know, the reflection of Lent better. And then last week, I, I was uh, uh, reading my Christian Century uh, magazine, and there was, a, there, uh, there was a very interesting article. 
It's written by a pastor named Matt Fitzgerald. And uh, he shared this experience, an app called WeCrop. WeCrop. And uh, let me say WeCrop, okay? Uh, he said, it feels ridiculous says that a smartphone app changed in my life. I'm not that shallow, but it happened. A smartphone app changed my life. I'm not certain my life is better, but I know that I'll never be the same. So this WeCrock app, five times a day, it sends an alert to its users, and it, it just uh, arrives in the random moment, and they basically said, don't forget that you're going to die someday. <laughs> That's all. Don't forget that you're going to die. And it's based on the Bhutanese. It's a small you know, Buddhist country next to Nepal, Bhutanese aphorism. To find the happiness, contemplate death five times a day. Think about that. You know, to find the happiness, contemplate death five times a day. And then he shared one experience. My teenage son refused to do the dishes. I asked. He ignored me. I insisted. He refused. I tend to explode, explode when something like this happened. I enjoyed it. Rage can be an intense pleasure. I know. For an instant, anyhow, afterward, I am seized by regret so fiercely illustrate, never again, and then again. I can't stop myself. This time, before I open my mouth, my phone buzzed. Don't forget you're going to die. <laughs> I inhaled sharply. The poet John Ashery says the grape carries a reddish strong gasoline fumes. My eyes watered. That stent and the stink to stop me. I stooped silently as if I had just discovered something. I had just discovered something. I don't want my rage lodged in my child's psyche. I spoke softly to my son, and I was happy. So some of the you know, uh, quote they sent about uh, that's five times a day. It said, Abraham Lincoln said, if I'm killed, I, I can die but once. But to live in the constant dread of it is to die over and over again. So one of those things comes. And Benjamin Franklin said, that takes no bribes. He must be bribed a lot of people, so he said that. <laughs> Frank Herbert said, beginning of knowledge is something that we do not understand. Oh, I like that one. Beginning of the knowledge is something that we do not understand. My PhD dissertation was something that, that I didn't understand, but I just want to know. And that's how the you know, dissertation came out. So it's, I absolutely attest to this truth. You know, Hebrew 9.27 said very clearly that just as the people are destined to die once, afterward, they are to face the judgment. You know, death is not a big problem, actually. All die. The problem is that there is an accounting, day of accounting. Romans 14.12, Paul said, on that day, each one of us give account of our life to God. Are you preparing for the reckoning day? We all prepare our, you know, death somehow. In my case, I prepare my family in their financial, you know, destitution in case the Lord takes me early. So I'm, I have a term life insurance, a lot, half million dollars. 
so that at least my children will finish the college and then maybe you know get married and Jamie can find the second husband and then whatever. <laughs> but uh, okay. Uh, we prepare, you know, for death in many ways. But most important way to prepare death is to prepare ourselves before God. You know, there is a word called the euthanasia. And, uh, you know, uh, euthanasia, commonly people understand as a painless death, right? But if you really look at the origin of the word euthanasia, it's a Greek word, eu and uh, sanatos. Sanatos means a death. It's a good death. Literally, euthanasia means good death. Modern people interpret euthanasia as a painless death, as a good death. You know what? Christian tradition, good death is a prepared death. You are prepared to die. And here is the truth. If we are not prepared to die, we are not living life. You're not prepared to live a day. If you have nothing to die for, you have nothing to live for. And we have so much to live for. Because the cause that Christ called us is the worth of every ounce of our life. So first thing about this wise guy, or this shrewd um, steward, is that he knew, he realized the crisis. And he responded in his own way. The second thing is his wisdom is that he rechannels his resources. He rechannels his resources through friendship. In a way, he creates the future through the friendship of gratitude by grace. So that's what it did. Verse 5, he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began to give them a discount of all the de original debt. And at the end, he said, they will welcome me when my employment ends with this master. And then Jesus said, and then verse 8 said, his master praised the unrighteous manager because he's acted shrewdly. For sons of this age are more, this is a Jesus comment, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than sons of a light. And I say to you, make a friends for yourselves by means of a wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwelling. Some people have a difficulty with this parable because this is a crooked guy. He fixed the books. How can, how in the world did Jesus use this dishonest manager as an example to follow? So, all those uh, incredible, I mean, some smart, some of them is uh, very reputable uh, scholars, they come with all kind of uh, biblical exegesis. I kind of uh, had a goose chase the last week, and some of them, I just want to share my pain with you. So one guy said, oh, you know, at the reason the manager uh, uh, the owner, master, praised this uh, dishonest employer or a steward is it because he gave a discount to, he gave a discount of uh, original debt 
And all of a sudden, the master's reputation in town went up. People are so grateful. They thought the master is the one who giving them a discount and then, you know, giving them a major discount. That they are all of a sudden that, thank you, Mr. So-and-so, you saved my life and so forth. And then so master all of a sudden received so many you know, accolades from other people and then realized that, oh, I didn't order this food. What happening here? And all of a sudden, okay, I lost some money, but my social reputation went up. Wow. You are very, very, you, you, you know, you saved your neck. That's how some, you know, biblical scholars interpret. Does that text really tell you that? Text said this guy already knew the master going to kick him out. He put his future on the debtors. If I help them, they're going to help me when, he, when my reign comes. So this, yes, so anyway. So that was a goose chase that I was after for a couple of days, and uh, I was so frustrated. But point is, he invested in other people's life. Life is all about investment. We invest, right? Why do you go to school? Why are you, you are investing in knowledge? Why you go to college? Why you go to grad school, John? Why you want to go to PhD? All this investment. We all investing. And everybody investing. But what is the most important investment? You know the most important investment is people. If you build your life investing in people, you're going to have a bright future ahead of you. You know, as many of us adults, we all have a hit and misses in our, our, in, in our life, especially in terms of investment. Oh yes, 30 some years ago, member of my church who was uh, one of the directors of an Apple company, he told me to buy 1,000 shares of Apple stock when it was $5. And he personally recommended me, and I said, your company going to bankrupt. What are you talking about? <laughs> Being a brilliant, you know, reader of a business world back then, I said, I still job left. You are doomed. Are you, why do I waste my precious, you know, yeah, I, I'm still here. <laughs> you know, those kind of, of you know, moment, oh man, you know, I get this tip and I didn't act on it. We all have those hit and misses in the investment. But guess what? The greatest misses in our earthly journey as the disciples of Jesus Christ is a people. It's a people. God didn't call me to save everyone in this world, but God called me to save at least the people in my life in a spare. God doesn't expect me to know everybody, but God allowed to meet and know few people in my life and relate to them. And that's how we make an impact for the kingdom of God. I'm kind of going back to the story of the first point, but I want to say this because I just found out last week something I never knew. Are you familiar with Stephen King? 
the author of a 49 suspension horror novel who sold over 350 million copies. And then, you know, some of his novels became a movie like, uh, what is that, The Shawshank Redemption, Green Miles, It, you know, <laughs> Carrie, all this. Do you know he's a recovering alcoholic? You know, he's a fanatic of Boston Red Sox fan, and somewhere in novel all this Red Sox comes out. And uh, do you know that he almost lost his life a few years ago? One day he was walking across the uh, country road in Maine. A van hit him and knocked him into the ditch. His legs were so crushed, the doctors considered amputating them, but he managed to pull through. And after that, he has a life change. And guess what he's known for now? He's known for outspoken generosity. And this picture came out of when he gave a, a commencement speech at the Barca College. Barca College is where 12 his sons graduated. And uh, I saw, you can find it in YouTube, but I was so shocked. I, I want to just quote his uh, commencement speech for you. He said, I found out that what you can take it with you means. I found out that while I was lying in the ditch at the side of the country road covered with mud and blood and with the TV of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in the thunderstorm, I had a MasterCard in my wallet. But when you're lying down in a ditch with a broken glasses in your hair, no one accepts a MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day, in the months that follow, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truth. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but when we are just as broke. Warren Buffett is going, to, going out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Steve King broke, not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stock you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. Why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help the power to change. Why should we refuse? Because we are going to take you with us? Oh, please. You know, he said, what he said was, uh, it's all already in the Bible. In the book of Job, Job said, we come naked, we go out naked. We come broke. We live broke. But if we invested our life in people's lives, we are not going out broke. We are going in a brilliant future. You know, many people say life is not about what you know, but who you know. Who you know, right? At least, you know, in the corporate world, you have to know the right person at the critical location, your boss, their bosses, bosses, and so forth. But one thing about the kingdom of God, Anybody you love and care, God knows. 
because God knows each one of his name. He knows our numbers of hairs in our, you know, in our head. Each one of us belongs to him. Any kind act that we do to a list of it, list of this, Jesus said, I will remember. Even giving a cup of cold water, Jesus will remember. Anybody does any kind thing to my child, I remember deeply. How much do you think Heavenly Father will remember when you and I invested our time and effort in other people's lives? Friendship for the sake of the kingdom of God is a true friendship. It's not friendship based on the uh, social economic factors. It's a friendship based on genuine and ultimate and eternal fellowship with one another. I don't, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I'm so grateful to God and so confident and convicted about our house church. Because the house church is all about friendship, building up genuine friendship where we can make each other accountable. And with that accountability, we're going to reach out to those people who don't know Christ and invite them. Believe me, they'd rather come to your house than to the church. The shortest way to human soul is a stomach. <laughs> you, find, you invite somebody and give them a well-prepared food and love, you will see how they open their hearts to you. Forest, I hope we don't, you know, we grow because we do really care for other people, not because some kind of great program or something that uh, people keep on coming. You know, people who come to our church on Sunday is basically Christians. I mean, we welcome you, definitely, you know, we, but at the same time, God wants us to invest our lives in other people's lives. Let me go quickly to the last point. Dear wise man, is the one who resolved to serve God alone. In today, the conclusion Jesus gave, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. I bet when Jesus said this, everybody laughed because, you know, they, they said, what do you mean that it's like, you know, to serve, you know, this is absurd, you know, servant to have two masters. Are you kidding me? Slaves can have two masters, you know. People laughed. And then Jesus said, just like you cannot serve God and love. And I bet people stop laughing. You know, uh, original uh, Greek, the original text of word wealth is actually mammonas, from which we get English, and um, we have some English translations of mammon. Mammonas is actually an Aramaic term for wealth which came from Aman. Aman means I trust. You know, actually the, uh, uh, the uh, 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 word came out of Aman is Amen. I truly, truly, true, that's Amen. Same thing, you don't, you don't trust unless something is true, right? So Aman, Amen. So when Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammoths, Jesus is calling us, who is your ultimate trust? Who is your ultimate trust? 
And here is question for all disciples of Jesus Christ to remember and then really answer. That is, do you put your ultimate truth, ultimate trust in God or in the wealth or money? Someone said, whatever money is not working for God, we are working for money. John Wesley preached one of the most well-known sermons on this text. John Wesley, founder of a Methodist church. You know, his sermon, I read it, uh, I read uh, as to prepare this, has a three point. Actually, no exegesis at all. He just, you know, quote the passage and then he gave his own. But he said 3.1, very simple. Earn all you can, as long as it doesn't hurt people and doesn't, you know, uh, does not discredit God's glory. Earn all you can. That's point one. Point two, save all you can. And then he comes third point. That's what? Give all you can. Okay, very simple. I didn't wasn't inspired by that. Then it dawned on me. You know, in our education and then our whatever, family education or college education, people talk only two things. You know, earn, try to, you know, all about the finding right vocation or good vocation or the profession that pays, pays well. You know, all you can, you know, save all you can. And then, I mean, you know, uh, earn all you can. And then people also talk about, you know, save all you can or invest all you can. David Ramsey or, this, you know, these people. Does it David Ramsey talk about give all you can? He does? Okay, thank God. I don't know David Ramsey. <laughs> uh, we are, pretty, you know, a couple of us are studying, actually. Um, several people are studying David Ramsey. So I, I hope one day we do it in our church. But point is... I think the most important financial stewardship is a give all you can. Because at the end of our life, our life will be evaluated not how much we got away, but how much we give away. Why do we worship God? Why do we call Jesus as our Savior? Because he gave it us all. He gave himself us all. He gave it all. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we're following the same steps. You know, this uh, last conclusion, you cannot serve God and wealth. Many of us think that, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't worship wealth. But next time when you plan vacation, let me see that. I hope you can say that, God, this vacation is for your glory. Jack Benny, an uh, uh, American comedian a century ago, I mean, not a uh, generation ago, he was, when he was a struggling uh, com stand-up comedian, one day he was uh, robbed. And uh, someone, in, a thug in the street, points a gun at him, said, your money or your life. And uh, he never expected, so he just froze. And the thief again says, Come on, come on, your money or your life? And Jack Benny responded, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. 
Yeah, I, we, I laugh at too. <laughs> you know, when God says, your money or me, what do you say? Are you going to say, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> Are you going to say the same thing? Dear Forest Community Church, following Jesus Christ is about becoming Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus Christ and enjoying his glory together. And by that, I mean, we will have the greatest wealth of all. You think a multi-billionaire, they got the wealth? You just saw that this part of their life, in God's eternal economy, guess who will enjoy the wealth that lasts forever? And wealth will never, never rot, rot but will shine more and more. If we build a friendship in the name of Jesus Christ and love and care for them and invite them and buy them free Starbucks coffee or you know nice you know meals, you never know how Holy Spirit will use your generosity and your wealth will increase in kingdom of God. We're going to sing a song, Knowing You Jesus, as our dedication song. And I want to say one thing. This is a well-known uh, song, and uh, the refrain part is that there is no greater thing than knowing new Jesus. I kind of uh, disagree. Knowing new Jesus is definitely a great thing, or greater than most things, but there is one thing greater than knowing new Jesus. I think it's uh, making him known to somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. It's a greater Let's pray.